Physics World. Hello and welcome to the Physics World podcast. I'm Andrew Glester and I'm sitting in a shed in the bottom of my garden in suburban Bristol. No, I really am. And you may hear the odd seagull, sparrow, aeroplane, lawnmower, the sounds of suburbia in the background. Such are the perils of recording in a shed. But it's a place I can often be found sitting, discussing science and science fiction on my podcast, The Cosmic Shed. But I first hosted this podcast for Physics World in December 2015, when we looked at and announced the winner of the Physics Book of the Year. Since then, I've been an avid reader of Physics World, and in March of this year, Physics World released a special issue looking at diversity and inclusion in physics. As you may have seen, it brought about quite a bit of debate on Facebook, Twitter, and on the Physics World website, so I thought it might be a good idea to look at some of the issues raised in this podcast. So I invited Mateen Girani, Physics World editor, and Margaret Harris, Physics World reviews and careers editor, back to my shed, and I'm delighted that they've agreed to join me here. Margaret and Mateen, welcome back to the Cosmic Shed. Great to be here. Tell me why you felt the need to produce an issue of Physics World which focuses on diversity. Last month I was at um, the world's biggest physics conference in Baltimore. It's a meeting of the American Physical Society, and there was something like 10,000 physicists there. And when you go to a meeting like that, the first thing that strikes you apart from the fact there are lots and lots of talks going on and everyone's having a great time, how many men there are in physics. Not just how many men there are, how many white men. And probably quite rich white men from affluent backgrounds. And, and that brings all sorts of issues for people who aren't in, the, in that particular category. But why is that really a problem? Well, I would say actually, Andrew, that the problem isn't necessarily that there's a load of, of rich white men doing physics. I want everybody to do, do physics, rich white men included. The problem isn't so much the numbers, it's what the numbers tell us. Because if you aren't a rich, white, probably straight man, you may find it more difficult to go into physics in the first place, to persist in it through your education and into a career, or to succeed in that area to your full potential because of things like uh, bias, unconscious bias against you, um, discri outright discrimination and harassment, or even just feeling like y you don't belong. I mean, people can be very pleasant and welcoming and, and friendly and professional, but if you're the only one of your particular group in a room of 50 people, you're going to feel a little bit odd, no matter how welcoming the other people are. And I think, unfortunately, there have been some really prominent cases where it's been shown that science hasn't been very welcoming to people who aren't uh, wealthy, straight white men. And this ranged from really pretty trivial things like uh, a prominent planetary scientist wearing a shirt that had sort of cartoon images of scantily clad women on it at a major sort of press conference during his really important mission. I mean, that was a pretty minor thing, but it, it's on, a, on the end of a scale that goes all the way up to some really serious cases of sexual harassment in astronomy in particular. You've said rich white men people in a higher socio-economic group. Is that a reflection of the education system? Why is that happening if it is what we're seeing? I think that's a very good question. Physics is quite a hard subject and you need good teachers. You need um, good experimental facilities at school. And unfortunately that tends to be, without generalising, the best teachers go to the best schools and often the best schools, especially in the UK, are private schools and you may or may not like private schools, but most of them are pretty good. They have the resources to teach physics, which is a tough 
nut to crack for a lot of people and you need lots of good tuition. There are obviously lots of good physicists that have come from other backgrounds, but I would say on balance it is harder to succeed if you go to a school which doesn't have the good resources. There's something else you said there, and it's actually something I picked up in the issue with a, a, a feature that you wrote, Mateen, and it's this idea of unconscious bias. And this is the idea that we all have inbuilt biases and prejudices, just the way we were brought up, where we went to school, who we mixed with, what subject we did. And we just generally like to be with people that are a bit like ourselves. Nothing wrong with that socially, but professionally, it can mean that you can hold people back. And in the the orchestra scene in the US, there's a very famous example back in the 70s. The people who were the great musicians would then do auditions for people to join their orchestras. And it turned out very much in an audition, they would pick their mentees, their underlings, the people they taught, because they they liked them, knew who they were. So what several US orchestras did was to have blind auditions. So you just put a screen between the panel and the player. And once you couldn't see who the person playing was, the participation of women in the orchestras jumped from 20 to 40%. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole series of online tests you can do at Harvard University, the Implicit Association Test, which I did. And basically you're presented with a series of pictures and words at your keyboard, and you have to group the pictures and the words together. After this five-minute test, it shows what your biases are, and it turns out I'm very strongly biased against black people, and I'm very strongly biased against women in science. And you can do the tests as often as you like, and I tried to do it again, because I thought, it must be wrong, of course I'm not biased. Yeah. And I am. But it's it's an unconscious prejudice. You, you yourself would never overtly think that you preferred somebody over somebody else because of... Irrelevant factors like it, race yeah, or gender, ex- yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But that's what you're seeing. Ma- Margaret, have you taken the tests? I have, yeah, and it was, it was really interesting. I came out as having moderately biased against women in science, even though I am myself a woman in science, which I think is important because this isn't a case of, ooh, men are bad, you know, this is a cultural thing that we all sort of absorb, men and women alike. So yeah, I'm moderately biased against women in science. I didn't have a strong racial bias, and I turned out to be slightly biased in favour of gay people, even though I am myself straight, which was again a bit of a surprise. So basically, I, I'm okay with other people, but I don't like myself. Um, <laughs> but as you say, that's what the cultural atmosphere is, is such that even you are finding yourself biased against yourself. Yeah. Is there anything that we can do if we're, we're now aware that we've all got this unconscious bias, what can we do to tackle that? You can't eradicate them, but at least being aware of them perhaps means that you can take action to be aware of it when you're, let's say, for example, if you're a physicist on a peer review panel assessing the quality of a paper or whether to give money to somebody to do research, you can maybe just have an extra filter on your head yeah. thinking, am I being, is there any bias going on or not? I think actually, I think it is possible to change one's biases and I think educating that you have biases is probably the first step. You can't solve a problem if you're not aware that there is a problem. I think actually I'm, I, my biases may have changed because the matter of, of, of race. I think that I, when I first took one of these tests, you know, several years ago, I think I came out biased against black people and for some reason I think I have become more aware of racial bias and the role it plays and the damage it does. And I think that may have actually changed these unconscious, subconscious patterns that I have. It's a process, it's a journey, it's, I'm not present, trying to present myself as some sort of mm-hmm. paragon of, of virtue in this, but I do think we underestimate people's capacity to change. Mm. There's a tip I came across quite a few times was that, let's say you have an unconscious bias against women in science. It was to surround yourself, maybe on your desktop, 
or on a pin board with pictures of women in physics who are the people that you perhaps have a bias against just so you familiarise yourself with these people aren't strangers or unusual they're normal physicists making their contributions to the subject um, there was a Twitter campaign hashtag I look like a physicist hashtag I look like a physicist because often you get this thing you don't look like a physicist yeah. and people go well I am I don't have to look like Einstein yeah. you know I can be a normal person making a decent contribution to physics and we looked at some of the women in physics on there and often they had little banners held up with hashtag I look like a physicist so we printed that montage of people and I would say I mean I think unconscious bias is a part of why minorities are, are not in physics, not succeeding in physics, and this, this sort of thing. I don't think it's the whole picture. I used to think about a year ago that it was all a matter of unconscious bias, we just needed to sort of fix our procedures, like the example with, of the orchestra, so that our grant awarding panels were, were better and this sort of thing. Some of the events of sort of more overt sexism, more overt harassment, and I include racial harassment, and also kind of homophobic bullying of, of people in gender and sexual minorities, made me think, hang on, this is this is not just a matter of unconscious bias. There are other, less subtle actually, but and maybe more damaging factors mm. going on as well. I saw in your magazine an article about CERN, about posters for the LGBT group in CERN being defaced on the poster boards. Well, it's an interesting story that we broke on Physics World and since was reported in quite a few other places. And we, we were contacted by some members of the LGBT club who had tried to get official CERN club status and uh, were thwarted in that. CERN is a fantastic place with people from all over Europe and beyond and it's this great multicultural atmosphere which is fantastic. It's a really unique place. But what it means is that you may have come from a culture where there were quite liberal views towards gay people but you might rub up against someone who's from a culture that isn't like that. Mm. So there are particular concerns and problems that that community has that we highlighted. Now, the, there, were, there was an instance of various posters for the LGBT club being torn down. I mean, I have to say, there was a couple of people who were reprimanded. It just creates the, the culture that perhaps you wouldn't expect. It was a minority of people who were doing the defacing of posters and ripping them down. You know, I, I don't think we're claiming, and I don't think there's evidence to claim, that CERN is some sort of hot spot of anti-gay or prejudice. But it doesn't take that many people who are, you know, sort of virulently anti-gay to that they would deface posters and tear them down to make people who are in gender and sexual minorities feel quite uncomfortable because they don't know if the person they're collaborating with, talking with, has been the person tearing this, these posters down. It just puts a element of, of doubt and uncomfortableness in professional relations that ships that, that really gets in the way of doing good science. Mm. When this story broke, you had some mixed feedback. Yeah, we had some abuse on Twitter, but I think we had the most common response was sort of, why are you covering this? This is a physics magazine. Why are you covering this social issue about LGBT? And the simplest answer to that is that we do cover social issues that impact on physicists. We cover things like peer review. We cover things about funding. That's not physics per se, but it, it impacts on physicists. It affects how physicists uh, live their working lives. We cover things like uh, how physicists progress in their careers. You know, are there enough opportunities for junior physicists to progress to being senior physicists? Are there, is there enough funding? Are there support structures in place to help people of any gender, racial background, sexuality, whatever, succeed? So I think, you know, we're not going to turn this into sort of a magazine that always covers or only covers social issues. We wouldn't want that, our readers wouldn't want that, but 
it is important an important issue for the community. So we're going to cover it. So answer that one. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Slap that one aside. <laughs> I think it's perfectly justified to have that issue, and I can sort of, you know, as editor, stand by why we did it. I mean, to be on a more serious note, what we we were quite careful to not point the finger at people and say this is your bad people that this situation is like it is really tried to not moralize or criticize people perhaps not even got into the why is it like this because the why is very difficult but what is the situation what practically is happening and what can we do and one of my colleagues at the institute of physics which publishes physics for jenny dyer who's head of diversity gave five tips that physicists can do in everyday lives to deal with these kind of issues well i if you want the five tips i'd probably read the magazine but perhaps you can give us a couple of ideas one of the tips uh was basically to know know your own organization's metrics you know know how many women are you inviting to interview for posts are you taking making a proactive effort to to search for qualified candidates regardless of where they come from who they are and you know try to find out is your organization significantly better or worse than other comparable ones because at the very least you don't want to be worse than the average for the community you want to be striving to be better and more inclusive and more welcoming uh, one example given was um, someone instituted a, a sort of climate question about not not climate as in weather but climate as as in how it feels to be in this particular course and one of the comments this person got was to say that students who are on financial aid hadn't got their grants in order to buy textbooks until like a few weeks into the course and so obviously that was uncomfortably climate wise so that led them to be able to do something about that to make sure those students who were on financial aid who were from poorer backgrounds were able to buy textbooks on time and thus on a level playing field with their classmates so ask questions you know know your own institution try to see if if you're, you're doing best practice so there are a couple of other bits of feedback which came through one person saying uh, forcing women into stem fields or positively discriminating for minorities is an anathema to equality and egalitarianism and another person saying are we supporting them in physics merely because they're women why shouldn't we be embracing this policy by encouraging more left-handers, more gays, more people from Wales into physics because of who they are? Well, I guess my answer to that is that if there was some sort of systemic bias against left-handers or against gays, which there possibly is, or against people from Wales, which again there possibly is because of the sort of wealth disparity, then yes, I guess we should, um, but not not to just to make the numbers up you know nature doesn't care who makes discoveries what matters is that people have the opportunity to make those discoveries without being hindered by anything other than the difficulty of the discoveries themselves it's about opening doors in my view um you're not trying to push women through a door that they don't want to go through but there may be plenty of women and people from other minorities who want to do physics and they're up against a door that's shut and it's just saying can we make the path into physics as egalitarian as possible for people who might be put off at the moment because the door's shut in their face. Mm. It's like we're here in the cosmic shed, it's not trying to force people into your cosmic shed, Andrew, but you know, <laughs> you hope that it's a welcoming place mm. and you make the barriers to entry as small as possible. Mm. If we were to wave a magic wand, let's say, and produce some sort of perfectly egalitarian society where there's no bias, no harassment, uh, no, no bullying of people for whatever characteristics they have, and we also somehow again waved magic wand again and got rid of sort of things that um, so- social pressures on, on women to you know, little girls, in fact, to play with dolls and not blocks, and you know, little boys to to play with you know football and, and not with um, you know 
pretty dresses or something like that. Um, if we were able to get rid of all that and we still had unequal numbers of men and women studying physics, that to me personally would not be a problem. In fact, I would love to do that experiment. Mm. I would love for that to happen so that I could find out just what, if any, contribution there is in biology to this current disparity of women and, and men in physics. You know, because there might be one. But the thing is, we don't know. Because at the moment, there is so much noise clogging up that potential experiment, and that noise is called harassment. That noise is called bias. That noise is called structures of early career science that makes it really hard for, for people, men and women, who want to have kids and have a stable family life, to progress. You know, all these things are currently clogging up this wonderful experiment that I'd like to do to find out whether, <laughs> you know, there is any biological factor. Oh, there are experiments being done that look at the difference between male and female brains and, and there doesn't seem to be a typical male brain, there doesn't seem to be a typical female brain. Yeah, they have to look really hard to find those differences. Yeah. And also, if anybody wants to sort of explain the, the differences in men and women participation in physics in terms of their brain structures, would have to also explain why the percentages vary so much country to country. In some uh, former communist countries, you know, the rate of women's participation in science was, you know, much higher than it was in the West. And it still is quite a bit higher in, in some, um, I think, South American countries, particularly. You would also have to explain why black men participate in, in physics much less. And everything we know about race suggests it's, you know, in terms of biology, you know, it's, it's much less of a factor even than gender is. You know, you say there's not much difference between male and female brains. Well, there really isn't much difference between the brains of people of different races, as far as biologists can, t can tell us. And what I'm hearing a lot of is that it's cultural, a huge cultural influence on this. It's, it's tempting to think, well, I'm not prejudiced. I, even if I've got this unconscious bias, I'm not having any real effect on this. But I think there's evidence to the contrary of that with this issue of microaggressions. Yeah, uh, so first off, I hate that word. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that word for so many reasons. The word aggression implies an intention. I think a lot of these, these, these things, which are small actions that cause people to feel uncomfortable um, and unwelcome in an, in an area, in a field, in a group, because of who they are rather than something they're doing. A lot of these things are unintentional, they may be intended as jokes, they may be intended as compliments even. You know, things like introducing a woman scientist at a conference says, and now we have the lovely Dr. So-and-so who has done all these wonderful things and while raising five kids. First off, a man would not be described that way. Yeah. And secondly, you know, why does it matter that she's got five kids? Why not use that precious time you have to introduce her to talk about the five papers she's written? Yeah. It's a lot more relevant to her talk. So people would say, Margaret, well, that in itself, come on, that's not a big deal just to be introduced that way. So w why would people feel that that's annoying or threatening? Is it because it happens so often and it repeatedly and it's demeaning and after a while you just think, do you know what, I can't be bothered with this? Yeah, one-off events, that's not an issue. But, you know, it's straws added to the camel's back. Mm. The Harvard astronomer John Asher Johnson, who is a, a black man, he has this wonderful analogy that he has this sort of subroutine running in his head when he interacts or has some sort of iffy interaction with somebody. He's trying to figure out, you know, was this person abrupt and rude to me because they're an abrupt, rude person, they're like that way to everybody? Or were they that way because I've, I've pissed them off in some way? Or was that racist? Like an internal monologue. It's, it's a sub-process that takes up time in his brain that he would rather spend finding new exoplanets or whatever. I was at a conference last year about a particular technology, I won't say what it was about, and there was a, a panel of experts with one woman on it. And the question was, is this technology dangerous? 
one of the senior researchers, a male, said, of course, um, it's had no impact on any of us on this panel. As you can see, the lady on my right is as beautiful as she ever was. Mm. And it was a little throwaway remark that my colleagues who I was with, they just sharply take a breath. But it kind of passed unnoticed. And I don't know how this person felt about that comment. But it's that kind of thing you hear one too many times and it can kind of just... Yeah, I think I've I've been fortunate. I've experienced relatively few things like that. The one that I did experience, I was, and I talk about this in the feature on microaggressions. I was in my first year as an undergraduate, and I was just at the end of lecture. lecture I was collecting up my my belongings, heading out, and my lecturer sort of stops me and says, "Please, what is the meaning of your shirt?" And I sort of looked down, and I had I was a total Anglophile. This is in the U.S., but I was a total Anglophile. And the previous summer, I'd been to the to London and bought myself a Mind the Gap t-shirt from the London Underground. So I looked down and I was like, oh, it's oh, it's from the London Underground. It's, people say this on the announcements, Mind the Gap, Mind the Gap, uh, as people get off the train. And he sort of said, oh, I see. I thought it was Two's Company. And he sort of grabbed his own chest and sort of gave a big squeeze to his imaginary breasts. I was like, no, no, that's really not what it was. And kind of scuttled out of the room and kind of felt a bit weird about the whole experience. I thought it was funny, but it was also funny in a not entirely innocent kind of way. And it did make my further interactions with this guy. Yeah. Slightly odd after that. Yeah, I'm. I'm guessing that most people won't be indulging in that sort of behaviour. No, no. I, I should say actually that was. I think that was basically the only uh, sort of off event I experienced in my entire time as undergraduate, which was the the undergraduate department at, at Duke University in the U.S. in physics was really really supportive of me. I think in uh, my ambitions, and everybody else I encountered at that department treat, treated me professionally, which is why I can say that for me, I don't think these microaggressions again I hate that word had a huge effect on my career, but. I'm not every woman. Some people, you know, your your mileage may vary, you know, your your experiences may differ, and for some people, I think it does take away from their ability to do the, the research unhindered, and it does make them eventually some of them think, you know, I can't be bothered with this, you know, like let me go find some other field, let me go work in some other area that's more welcoming. Mm-hmm. And I've heard it said actually that that the the benchmark for saying that we will have achieved equal opportunities in physics is when a mediocre woman in physics can do as well as a mediocre man in physics. It's no good saying that, you know, if you're super talented and super determined that you can succeed despite not being part of the majority grouping. I mean, it's good that people can do that, but we should be able to succeed as well as someone else with the same ability. So what can we do to be, if if we're, if people are listening to this and they want to be more inclusive, they're, even if they're not aware of their unconscious bias, which they're not because it's unconscious. What can they do? It's great if people who are not part of those minorities or part of the majority can point out that kind of behaviour in other people and it's more palatable for those people. It takes the pressure off the person who's been affected from having to do it. So all of us kind of, if we see it, we can perhaps gently, subtly Mm. point it out. Mm. If something negative happens, have a clear method of reporting that to some authority group and have clear procedures for investigating it and make those investigation procedures as fair as possible both to the person who's making the accusation and to the person who's being accused. Don't shove it under the rug, but you know, obviously you don't want to overreact to these things because you know, some people do make comments that there's there's no malice behind them and you have to be careful not to go overboard, but you also have to make sure that the behavior that's potentially harmful stops. 
there's a balance to be struck. You know, some people might think, you know, why are you making such a big deal about this? You know, come on, you know, just by focusing on this problem, you're drawing attention to it and making sound physics is horrible and nasty. And I think there is a risk. If we were always focusing on that, or if we were making it sound like everybody has a really horrible experience all the time. You know, we're still saying physics is a great thing to be doing, it's a great discipline, it brings a lot of fun to people, it's a great intellectual pursuit, but, you know, we just felt now was the time to draw attention to this. I don't think just shoving it under the rug and being silent about it is going to solve the problem because we've kind of tried that approach before and, lo and behold, it hasn't solved the problem. Yeah. Uh, I think that the only way we're going to improve it is by talking about these, these issues we've got. In, in the discipline. I don't think physics is, is, is alone in this. You only need to watch a, a chat show and see the way the women guests and the men guests are introduced differently. You, you, you can see it throughout society. Yeah, I mean, physics is not alone. I think things like the IT industry is very biased oh, yeah. towards males. There's all sorts of issues going on there. The tech industry is horrendous for age discrimination. You know, people like you and Mateen and uh, and I, we're all past it as far as the, the, the tech industry concerns in our 30s and 40s. Uh, and that's a huge problem for older workers in those areas. Someone emailed us um, to Physics World in, in response to the issue, and he moved into physics after studying part-time later in life, and he's now at a university in London. And he had the reverse problem that people saw him as a white male in his <laughs> slightly older age and they assumed he was the professor yeah yeah and well, in a, fact he was the student he was the student yeah, and people yeah. would have a kind of microaggression in reverse that yeah. comment so he quite rightly said that was one thing we hadn't looked at yeah. the, the thing of ageism and he was absolutely right you know we haven't covered in this special issue about diversity and inclusion in physics we haven't even really scratched the surface of talks we could have covered and this really isn't meant to be the last word on the subject we've covered gender bias and racial bias in physics before we'll continue to do that afterwards this issue isn't sort of physics world's done diversity and now we're going to never never talk about it again so if you do have thoughts about what we've missed out on you let us know tell us about it maybe we'll feature your story your experiences in a future article in physics world we'd love to hear from you in the may issue of physics world we've got quite an extensive set of comments from emails letters feedback from facebook and twitter and you can read those in the may issue where we've kind of drawn together three or four pages of cross-section of responses to this issue mm. so yeah. keep an eye out for that it's coming out at the start of may and yeah, I'd like to say that, of course, things have improved hugely over the last hundred years. There's an anecdote I wrote about in the March issue about Lisa Meitner. When I mean, she was working in Berlin, she was banned from working in the laboratory by her boss because she had long hair. And I think that was just <laughs> her supervisor, her boss, just didn't want her doing experiments. Mm. But the irony is, the funny thing is that he had this giant bushy beard yeah. that, to me, looked like a prime candidate for setting fire on a Bunsen burner. <laughs> As it happened, um, he then realised that she was very talented and was her mentor and supported her and she could have won a Nobel Prize that's a different story the fact that she didn't but you know when you look back at that was a hundred years ago how much things have changed there has been a huge amount of progress yeah. and the idea that women might be banned from physics labs was just ridiculous but at the time you know that was the culture people lived in and things have changed so we shouldn't beat ourselves up too much mm. but let's hope things mm. improve in future yeah we're definitely on the right road and we need to keep going and talking about it is key so thank you very much indeed to Margaret and Mateen for joining me here in the Cosmic Shed great thanks for having and if you'd like to hear more of the Cosmic Shed our latest episode looks at Contact the Carl Sagan book and the Robert Zemeckis film of the same name and features an interview with Jill Tarter of SETI where we discuss her life in science 
and look at themes like science versus religion and much more. To hear that and more episodes, go to thecosmicshed.com. And look out next month for another edition of the Physics World podcast as well. And thank you for listening. Physics World.